now I know whom I should ask to introduce me <laughs> wherever I go in this nation, I'm going to call on Brother Jonathan Singer to introduce me. <laughs> well, he has some very eloquent words, and I assure you that I'm humbled by your kindness, and it makes me more determined to make sure that the man whom he introduced is Amos Brown. <laughs> My friends, what a picture of heaven we now see. What a statement of paradise for two congregations, distinct, unique in theology, customs, and traditions, and yet we are doing the thing that should be done in order that God will not be ashamed that God made us. That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. Make sure that you don't make God ashamed that he made you. Make sure that as Genesis, the sixth chapter indicates, after God had made humankind, and as the story goes, To replenish the earth, God became upset over the wickedness of man and woman. And in that sixth chapter of Genesis, it says, God repented that he made man. That means he changed his mind. He said, Oh, what have I done? Why? Because there was wickedness in the earth. Corruption. Destruction. Annihilations. God said, I made a mistake. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. And I'm proud of it. Proud that I was born at 128 East Cohee Street in the segregated South. The one thing that registers with me continuously is that whenever I left home, my mother particularly said, behave. 
and don't make me ashamed. Leaky the paleontologist tells us that the first habitat of human beings was over there in Africa in the Rift Valley. Lucy was her name. And this relic, this fossil of humankind, confirms the fact, according to Leakey, that our first home was in Africa. But after we migrated across this crusted earth, to Asia, to Europe, to the Arctic region, and ultimately over here to the Americas, we acted like we didn't know how to behave. Wherever we settled down and created cultures, we started getting beside ourselves with this idiotic, silly, stupid notion of them against us, us against them. And since that day, God has been ashamed of his children. But as we gather tonight, I want to outline for you reasons why God ought to be ashamed of us. You know, my mother, mother-in-law, Mrs. Jane Rosetta Gorn Smith, is in the house tonight. And she is looking forward to celebrating her 98th birthday. Last year, she wrote her memoirs at 97. Mother Smith was born in Staunton, Virginia the hometown of a famous president. You know about him. Woodrow Wilson. And there's a big controversy going on now at Princeton University, where he served as president. The students are protesting, suggesting that they need to take his name off of all the buildings because they are troubled over the fact that he did not support an anti-lynching bill. The Dyer's bill up to the 30s, 
was filibustered in Congress, and they couldn't get it out of committee. And Mr. Wilson didn't do anything to make it pass. I wish, as a backdrop for the remainder of my presentation, to share something with you so that you will not think I am making up a fairy tale. More Phil's story. The first president of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Wasn't black, he was white. A lawyer and a publicist from Massachusetts said in 1918, the year that Mother Smith was born, these words, and I read them to you tonight. Negroes are denied the protection which the law affords the lives and property of other citizens. If only charged with crime or even misdemeanors, they are at the mercy of the mob and may be killed and tortured with absolute impunity. In many states, they cannot obtain justice in the courts, at hotels, restaurants, and theaters. They are not admitted or are given poor accommodations. In the public parks and public conveyances, even in the public offices of the nation, they are set apart from their fellow citizens. The districts which they occupy in cities are neglected by the authorities, and the money which the community devotes to education, a very small fraction is allotted to them, so that their schoolhouses and their teachers are grossly inadequate. But more dangerous and more wicked than neglect is the barbarous cruelty of lynching. I need not revive the figures of the past. What has happened within a year is enough. Since the United States entered the war, a careful investigation shows that 219 Negro men, women, and children have been killed and lynched by mobs. That you may realize what lynching is. Let me give you instances. Dyersburg in Tennessee is a prosperous town of some 7,500 people. The county seat and a representative community of the better class. And I beg your indulgence and be patient with me. For I must give you this graphic example for the point that I will make momentarily. 
Morfield's story goes on to say, when this black person was lynched in Dyersburg, the Negro was seated on the ground and a buggy axle driven into the ground between his legs. His feet were chained together with logging chains and he was tied with wire. A fire was built. Pokers and flat irons were procured and heated in the fire. It was 30 minutes before they were red hot. His self-appointed ex executors burned his eyeballs out with red hot irons. When he opened his mouth to cry for mercy, a red hot poker was rammed down his gullet. Red hot irons were placed on his feet, back and body, until there was a stench of burning human flesh filling the Sabbath air of Dysburg. Thousands of people witnessed this scene. They had to be pushed back from the stake to which the Negro was chained. Rooftops, second story windows, and porch tops were filled with spectators. Children were lifted to shoulders that they might behold the agony of the victim. The Memphis News describes the scene. Women scarcely changed countenance as the Negro's back was ironed with a hot brand. Even the executors maintained their poise in the face of bloody creases left by the irons. Irons which some housewife had been using. And Germany that gave us Bach and Beethoven also gave us Hitler who sent six million of your Jewish ancestors to the gas chamber. America snatched the country from the Native American. What I've come here to say this night, God is not pleased with us. God is regretting that he made us. For even in 2016, we have a man who would dare run for the high office of President of the United States, who has been very mean to people who are different, who's failed to realize, as the Jewish history so well records, that Moses told you when you got into the land of the promise, be careful how you treat strangers and foreigners. For remember, you were a stranger and a foreigner in a land called Egypt. What Moses was saying, God is not pleased with us because we become that 
which we hate. If we don't want other folks lying on us, don't lie on other people. If you don't want people snatching a job from you, don't snatch a job from somebody else. If you don't want a policeman profiling you, don't be silent in the face of profiling of black and brown children, even in the city and county of San Francisco. San Francisco needs to be righteously disturbed that on the 2nd of December, just before Christmas, five policemen who supposedly have the responsibility of maintaining the peace and protecting the community, five policemen fired over 20 bullets at a young African-American in Bayview Hunters Point, Mario Woods, just because he had a little seven to eight inch knife. There has not been enough of an outcry over doing something about making sure that Mario Woods' mama gets justice and his death will not be in vain. I thank God that God gave me enough love to realize it's not enough just black folks who suffered. People all over this world have suffered. They are still suffering. Why? Because of the wickedness of man. And that is why, as an African-American Baptist preacher, I did not support Proposition 8. That's why I stand up for gay rights. For my teacher, Martin Luther King Jr., taught me at Morehouse in that social philosophy class that he had learned up at Boston University, sitting at the feet of another great teacher who told him that every human being was a person and entitled to being respected. So when Proposition 8 came up, I could not join with the right-wingers. I will not join with the conservatives because I know that in this life, what goes around comes around. You reap what you sow. And if it was wrong in 1955, when at the age of 14, I witnessed on Jet Magazine cover the picture of a young black boy named Emmett Till, who was murdered by two white men who claimed that he whistled at a white woman. I said to the nation, I will not become that which I was disturbed over and that which I hate. And I will not join your crowd, for God loves all of us, the gay and the straight, the black and the white, the brown and the yellow, and all of those who are in his crusted earth. God loves all of us. 
None of us has a monopoly on truth. None of us has a monopoly on cleanliness. None of us has a monopoly on holiness. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way. None is righteous, save God. God is not pleased with man because man has become so full of violence, hatred, and we have messed up God's earth with those three isms, racism, militarism, and capitalism that spends too much, takes from the needy, and gives to the greedy. We can go after a boy with five grams of coke. And yet we let go the banksters who have taken the homes of many persons. Name me one president of a bank who spent a night in jail. And yet in San Francisco, the pastor of Hamilton Memorial Emmanuel Church of God in Christ, the nephew of one of my late deacons, Jack Dorn, Reverend Yule Dorn, was arrested yesterday and put out of his house because of a bad mortgage that was created by Chase. God is not pleased with that. Everybody should have a house to live in. Everybody should have a place to celebrate their culture. Everybody should have a place for their children to sit at the table and eat three square meals a day. But God is not pleased with us because of the violence that has come in the earth. But, though that may be the reality, and we cannot ignore it, but God can give us some grace. He gives us grace because there are some of us who have enough respect, who have enough kindness, who have enough love to say, I ain't gonna let nobody turn me around from loving everybody. That's the genius of this exchange service. That's the great importance of what we are doing. When we started 29 years ago, some didn't know what to expect and didn't think they were gonna be with it over the long haul. But still, it's a fact. We haven't lost any Baptist to Temple Emmanuel. <laughs> and Temple Emmanuel had lost any of his congregants to Third Baptist. We still know how to praise God, from whom all blessings flow. We still know how to praise God, each in his own tongue. And that's the way God wants it to be. For Jeremiah Wright was, was very much right when he said diversity 
does not mean deficiency. And when we come together, we are the better. When we work together, we have greater sharing of ideas. When we serve together, we are creating a better world. God is pleased with Third Baptist and Temple Emmanuel because she knows what to do. But then I go on to say, it's not enough for God to be pleased with us. We must realize that we got to be a witness to others. For there's a lot of collateral damage in this world. You can be ever so good, ever so right, ever so righteous, but because we live in this world that God is not pleased with, you can become a victim. I end with this. This is my choice latest illustration. Third Baptist has heard it, and they can get a rerun tonight. <laughs> I'm a bookworm. Books everywhere. Got three libraries. Sometimes I leave books around the kitchen, the toilet, and even in the garage. One of my books, An Adventure in Good Religion by Harry Mason Fosdick, published in 1929. I went to one of my libraries and lo and behold, right near the book I was pulling down from the shelf, it was Father's book. It had been eaten up by termites. Got all the good stuff out of it. <laughs> Got all the pages out of it and left me with nothing but the cover. <laughs> you know how the termites got in? Without any disrespect of my neighbor. But my neighbor, some months ago, had some termites. And the termites didn't stay in our house. The termites came to the brown house and they had a good time <laughs> eating up my book. And you know, after I used that illustration, one of my dear members who were not familiar with the ways of that little creature said, Run Brown. Termites don't eat paper. And I said, uh, have you thought about the fact that before we became a recycling culture, paper came from wood. What do you think termites eat but wood? 
and they were looking for some of the best wood that was made back in the 1920s when it was cut down. That's why they ate up my book. <laughs> we must not let the termites of religious bigotry, we must not let the termites of xenophobia, we must not let the termites of classism eat into our good religious experience. We have at Third Baptist and Tivoli Manual what our forebears call good religion. There was an old Negro spiritual that they sang, have you got good religion? And everybody would say, certainly, Lord. Have you been baptized? And they would say, certainly, Lord. We got good religion because we are supporting a religious experience that's tangible. We don't come together and talk about Martin Luther King. We don't just talk about his dream and forget about the fact that 60% of his speech at the March on Washington was about economic injustice and about a lack of education. We have good religion. Why? Because we created a program called Back on Track. And I thank God that Timothy Emanuel has stuck with us. And we have now Miss Tiffany Jones here in the house. We have back there in the back, stand up, my vice president, brother, stand up there. Perry Lane. Now all the persons are back on track, stand up right where you are, who are here tonight, tutors, two teams, family members who've come tonight. This has been our actual good religion experience and God is pleased with what we're doing. Let us keep it going, let us keep it moving for who knows that we might find out of back on track some child who will find a cure for cancer. Somebody may find a cure for some other epidemic expression of Ebola. Somebody might write a better sermon, sing a better song. Somebody might discover a way to make sure that we live in a world that we will live together as brothers and sisters and not perish as food. When we do this, as I always say in my mantra, when we come together, when we ask God to forgive us and not be displeased with us, we will be able to say, I'm black and I'm proud. I'm brown and I'm sound. I'm yellow and I'm mellow. I'm red, but I ain't dead. I'm white and I'm all right. I'm gay and I'm godly. I'm straight, but I'm sensible. I thank God that we have the right way to make sure that God will always be pleased with us and be said of us as was said of that prophet Jesus who came up out of the wilderness. And when he came up out of the water, there was a dove that descended. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Thanks be to God. God is well pleased with Timothy Emmanuel and Third Baptist because we have not made God ashamed.